0: Throughout his work, The Confessions, you are going to see St. Augustine making reference over and over again to the scriptures, specifically to the holy scriptures of Christianity, and these include Jewish writings like the Law and the Prophets, and then we also have later things that are distinctively Christian, like, for example, Paul's letters, which Augustine is going to reference, and the Gospels, and other things as well. And the Latin term for this is scriptura, sacra scriptura, if we're saying holy scriptures. And scriptura really just means writings. These are things that have been written down and transmitted and are part of the community. They're part of what the Christian community focuses on and guides its conduct and its mind by. And what's really interesting is as we go from book to book to book, We see that St. Augustine develops a different appreciation and understanding for these. And, you know, the ground is already sort of laid because there are people in his life who think that these matter and he takes them seriously, tries to engage with them, finds that at first he can't get much out of it. And then later on, as he learns how to read them, how to make sense of them, it turns out that the scriptures are incredibly rich and deep and diverse so why are we focusing on finding wisdom in the scriptures because the very first attempt that he has uh, occurring in book three takes place right after he has encountered Cicero's Hortensius and you know he he finds that Cicero is awakening in him a desire for wisdom a desire not just to do philosophy but to use philosophy as a, a way a path to attain wisdom and then in chapter five We see that Augustine says, I decided to turn my mind to the Holy Scriptures and see what they were like. Behold, I see something within them that was neither revealed to the proud nor made in plain to children that was lowly on one's entrance but lofty on further advance and that was veiled over in mysteries. Now that's what he's going to realize later on. He's writing this book from the vantage point of somebody who has passed through this and notice what he says at the time. None such as I was at that time could enter into it nor could I bend my neck for its passageways. When I first turned to that scripture, I did not feel towards it as I'm speaking now, but it seemed to me unworthy of comparison with the nobility of Cicero's writings. He's comparing it to not just a philosopher, but somebody who was also you know, a great rhetorician and somebody that Augustine, you might say, feels a greater connection with. And if you think about, scripture. A lot of people will praise the beauty of the King James version. Uh, Some of it is pretty good prose and some of it is not quite so interesting or so to the point. So, you know, you can understand these comparisons that he's drawing. Augustine is saying, I just couldn't get much out of it at the time. In Book 5, he raises some other issues that are going to be coming up. Again, stemming from dealing with the scriptures. They're not giving him exactly what he wants. This is in Chapter 11. He says... I didn't think it was possible to defend the things in your scriptures to which other people had objected. So, you know, you read Holy Scripture. There's a lot of different stuff in there. You might say some of this seems kind of dubious. Some of this seems to be bad examples. You know, if we're not supposed to lie, then why was it okay for Rahab the harlot to lie? What kind of God tells Abraham to kill his only son? You know, there's all sorts of objections that people can make. And he says, sometimes I desired greatly to discuss individual points with someone highly trained in those books and find out what he thought of them. There was this Olipidus who'd spoken and disputed face to face against the Manichaeans who had begun to affect me at Carthage. He advanced such passages from the scriptures as could not easily be refuted. And so, you know, Augustine is saying, Ah, maybe there's something to this I'm just not at at the point where I can use the scriptures to make sense of things. And then something happens that opens up his mind and his experience. And this is in part because of Ambrose. This is in book six, chapter four. He goes and starts listening to Ambrose's sermons, and it's quite helpful for him. He says, I rejoiced that the ancient scriptures of the law, so that's the first five books of the, the Bible, and the prophets were now set before me for reading. Not with the eye which once looked on them as absurdities, when I argued as if your saints understood them in this way, whereas in truth they did not thus understand them. So Augustine is saying, listen, when I first encountered scripture, either I said, well, it's not very good, or there's all sorts of difficulties and contradictions in this. Turns out that not everybody understands those things that way. And I think this is something that still goes on today when people get into, you know, atheist Christian disputes or other disputes and they're like, you Christians say X, Y, Z. And then the Christians are like, well, no, actually that's not what we say. (laughs) For example, you know, Augustine doesn't think that the world was created literally in six days. We're going to get to that much later. You know, he thinks that these are periods of time. And so if somebody was going to come along, And say to the average Christian, you believe the world was created in six days, they'd be like, I understand that Genesis says that, but that's not how we understand that. And that's been the way of understanding it for, for a very long time. Coming back to this, so he says that I was glad when I heard Ambrose speaking in his sermons to the people as though he most earnestly commended it as a rule that the letter kills, but the spirit quickens. So notice, what is this? This is a passage from scripture that is being used as a hermeneutic, a way of interpretation for scripture. Augustine says that Ambrose would draw aside the veil of mystery and spiritually lay open things that interpreted literally. So on a literal level seem to teach unsound doctrine, He would say nothing that caused me difficulty, although he would state things I did as not yet know to be true. So Ambrose is teaching him how to do a different kind of reading. It could be allegorical reading where one thing is referring to another. It could be moral reading where we're supposed to, like, take the the literal thing and move away from that and say, what is the actual lesson here? So Ambrose is giving him a better sense of how to read the scriptures. And Augustine engages In his own reflection about this, he tells us about in the next chapter, right? Says, from that time forward, I preferred Catholic teaching. He goes on and then he, then he says that with the scriptures, there's all sorts of things that I came to believe. And I would do this in part by comparing things. So. He starts considering his own beliefs, the things that he believes in, and he says, all right, people say that I shouldn't just uncritically buy into what's being said in scripture, but don't I do that with, like, all sorts of things in my life? Do I verify every single thing? He says, I didn't want to make a mockery of credulity, rash promises of sure knowledge, but... Do I actually have that with most things? He says, I consider how countless were the things I believed, though I had not seen them, nor was I present when they took place. Human history, places and cities I haven't seen, even things about my friends, things about physicians, things about countless other men. Unless we believe these things, he says, nothing at all could be done in this life. I thought of how I held with fixed and unassailable faith. I was born of certain parents. How the hell would I know this? I can't know this unless I believed it by hearing about them. And he says, by all this, you persuaded me that not those who believe in your books, but those who do not believe in them are the ones to be blamed and not to be given a hearing. If they say to me, how do you know these are the books of the one true and most truthful God dispensed by his spirit to the human race? And so he says, this truth was to be believed for no hostile and slanderous questions, many of which I'd read in philosophy philosophers who contradict each other, could extort from me the answer that I would at any time believe you do not exist, right? Whatever your nature may be. So Augustine is considering his belief, or if we want to use the Latin term, credere, the word we get credo, creed, or credence from, right? We believe in a whole bunch of things. And, you know, in his case, he's believing in scripture and about God. And he also says something else that's kind of important here. Why couldn't God just Let us figure these things out on our own. Why couldn't we just use pure reason like the philosophers claim to? And actually, a lot of the philosophers don't claim to use just pure, complete reason all by itself. That's a sort of a limit case. Philosophers buy into all sorts of things. They put their pants on or their tunic the same way as everybody else, oftentimes not thinking about it, right? So he goes on and he says, I always believed that you are and you have care for us, though I did not know either what must be thought concerning your substantial being or what we led up to you. Therefore, since we were too weak to find out the truth by pure reason for that cause, we needed the authority of holy writ. I now began to believe that in no wise would you have given such surpassing authority throughout the whole world to that scripture unless you had some plans for it, right? God is giving us scripture to help us out when we run into problems with where reason is going. We're not stopping reasoning. We're actually incorporating scripture into it. And he says, unless you wish that both through it, you would be believed in and through it, you would be sought. So scripture isn't just supposed to give us a bunch of propositions that we then believe in. It's supposed to provide us with the rudiments of some guidance for how to approach God, how we ought to orient ourselves. And he says, now that I heard many things in these writings explained in a probable manner, I referred the absurdity that used there to cause me difficulty to the depths of their mysteries. You know, it could be that there's all sorts of absurdities in scripture and it doesn't make sense. It also could be that there's something deeper going on there. And that's what, what Augustine is saying he has now discovered. In Book 7, there is actually a chapter which involves a comparison of pagan philosophy with sacred scriptures, right? This begins in Chapter 9. He says, take this idea. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. First part of the Gospel of John, right? So the word there, this is something that in Greek philosophy had been referenced a lot, because remember the Gospels are in Greek originally, right? So the Logos and Gospel of John, you know, uh en Enhe Logos, right? The Logos, sometimes people want to make a too easy identification. Oh, the logos that Heraclitus is talking about is the same logos as in the Gospel of John. Yeah, we don't know that right? It's the same as the Stoics were talking about. Mm, not exactly, right? Because the Logos is understood differently in different, we could say, frameworks. But there's a lot of overlap there. It doesn't have to be identity. It can be overlap. And so, you know, the Platonists are talking about this sort of thing. And why not just stick with Platonism then? One of the highest philosophies, according to Augustine. Well, because the scriptures teach more. He says that, I read about the beginning of the Gospel of John. I read that the soul of man, though it gives testimony of the light, is not itself this light okay, you might get that out of the Platonist too, but that he came into his own and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him to them, he gave power to be made the sons of God. But with that, the Platonist didn't have. And that is there in scripture. And then he says, again, I read there that the word God was born, not of the flesh, nor of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. But I did not read there that the word was Made flesh and dwelt among us. So there's all sorts of things in scripture that don't require us to throw away the philosophy, Augustine is saying, or culture, but certainly surpass it, certainly teach something going beyond it. And he gives all sorts of examples there. You know, you can reference that chapter to think about it. A little bit later in book seven, he is going to talk about Paul specifically, and this is quite interesting. You know, Augustine references Paul quite a bit. And he says that some of these writings of Paul were seemingly contradictory, right? Here we go. This is the the chapter 21. He says, it was with the most intense desire I seized upon the sacred writings of your spirit and especially the apostle Paul. Now, one of the things that we do know that's kind Kind of cool from a little bit later on these writings are not all bundled together in one single bible or even like you know the books of paul right they're often being circulated as separate things and augustine is reading them on their own because somebody comes in at one point and like picks up a book and he's like hey this is paul right here one of paul's books One, not all of Paul's books, right? So a little bit different way of understanding the texts and how they fit together. Anyway, Augustine says those difficult passages where at one time he seemed to me to contradict himself, right? So Paul, for Augustine back in the early days, it seemed to Augustine like Paul was contradicting himself. He's saying one thing here in a letter, he's saying another thing here, these don't fit together. It gets even more problematic because where the text of his discourse appeared to be at variance with the testimonies of the law and the prophets, right? So that's another thing. Let's say Paul is internally coherent. Does Paul actually map on properly to the law, which Paul has a lot to say about, and the prophets, or maybe even the other gospels, Augustine is saying, look, I see that there's things that somebody could take as contradictions, particularly at the literal level. When we read scripture properly, we find when we apply wisdom to scripture in order to get wisdom out of scripture, we are going to find that these are not actually contradictory. So he says, I saw those pure writings as having one single aspect and I learned to exalt for joy. And some of the things that he's saying here are quite nice. I made a beginning, whatever truths I'd read in those other works I found to be uttered along with the praise of your grace, so whoever sees may not glory as if he had not received not merely what he sees, but also his very ability to see. The the scriptures themselves are kind of a divine gift, and you know the wisdom that they convey is not something that we should be, you know, super proud of or lord over other people, but view as something that we have received. It's it's something that we have to look at in the right way and you know what are some examples of this well you know he talks about Paul you know discussing the other law in our members fighting against the law of our mind you know there's all sorts of fruitful passages and ideas that are coming in here finally in book eight we should talk about this famous passage in the garden tola et lege take it up and read Augustine is in the middle of this sort of crisis and he hears a voice saying pick it up and read and you know what are we talking about well there's a book there and it's a book of paul and he does take it up and read and what does this lead him to well finding a passage that is going to help him out and he actually has an example here of somebody else who also takes up and reads and it's a different passage he's like okay i should become a monk right and so what does augustine read not in rioting and drunkenness not in chambering and impurities not in strife and envying but put you on the lord jesus christ and make not provision for the flesh in its concupiscences in its desires right and then augustine says no further wished i to read nor was there any need to why because it's spoken to him about the existential problem that he is struggling with namely that he wants to be good, you know, and he wants to be devoted to God, but he also wants to screw around. He likes having sex. He's just said a little bit earlier, "My prayer is, God give me chastity and continence." But not yet, cuz I like to get some, you could say. And this scripture passage, at the right time, for the right person, for Augustine, helps to make a shift within him. And so this is another important way in which scripture is providing wisdom. Wisdom not just, you know, in a theoretical sense, wisdom about how to live and reorient and you might say fortify one's own life. So we've come all the way from, man, this scripture stuff, it's written in kind of a dumb way and it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense, all the way to, oh, there's so much more here than I could ever explore, but I get what I need out of it at the right time when I'm engaging with it for Augustine. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible.